0: to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, and endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU and I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs which are Naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils, and their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it, and you know if you love the patches themselves, you're gonna love the bath bombs because essentially This episode is sponsored by my Ease Endo Tea Challenge, which starts on Monday the 10th of January. January can often be the hardest time for those of us with endo. The joys and delights of December for many menstruators can cause problems hormonally come January, and for those of us with endo, it can be even more problematic. But rather than regretting any indulgences, I want us to be thankful that we had them and instead move on to what we can do to get our hormones back into balance and our endo back under control. In this four-week challenge, you will use four different types of simple teas to ease your endo symptoms. Each week, you'll learn about a new herb or spice and the benefits for endometriosis and exactly the symptoms they're reducing why. We'll look at some of the root causes of your symptoms and how these wonder herbs and spices can help you to tackle them. Now, clearly, just drinking tea is not the entire solution to managing endo, but this challenge is designed to ease you into the new year and into managing your endo symptoms with some quick hacks that will get you back on track so you can build back up your energy and your health and move into the rest of the year with the motivation and well-being to manage your endo. In this challenge, we'll be reducing pelvic pain and inflammation, bloating, abdominal pain, and digestive discomfort, hormonal symptoms like heavy periods, PMS, and low moods, and fatigue and brain fog. The Ease Endo Tea Challenge is perfect for anyone who is new to managing endo holistically and naturally, or anyone who wants some help recovering from any Christmas induced flares, or anyone who simply just wants to begin the new year with some extra tips and tricks for managing endo. As I said, the challenge kicks off on Monday the 10th, but you can you can join at any time. To sign up, just click the link in the show notes and register. I'm looking forward to getting cozy and drinking tea with you all. Oh, and P.S. The teas won't be provided, but they are affordable. The challenge is free, but the teas you'll have to go and buy. They should in total cost between five to ten pounds, depending on the brands you choose. And many are kitchen staples that you can pick up in the supermarket for a pound on the spice aisle or you might already have in your cupboard. So it might be completely free for you. Okay, that's it. Let's get to the show. Happy 2022 everyone. I am wishing you all a year with health and well-being and healing and I hope that I can be a part of that journey for you. I am taking it, well I'm not taking it slow in terms of work but I'm definitely taking it paced. I find it really strange that we jump into all of these like really hardcore fitness routines and drinking cold smoothies and eating cold salads like in January when it's like the dead of winter and our body really wants to like hibernate and rest. So I'm really trying to honour that this year. And we are keeping up a lot of the like evergreen reefs that we've made. Um we've got some dried eucalyptus, we've got a lot of candles. So I'm just trying to basically keep the cozy vibes that helped me to feel like really rested over Christmas without it being Christmassy. Um, but I'm just trying to kind of, you know, just have some winter traditions going on because I find that Christmas is the only time of year that I allow myself to slow down if I if I have that room. And it just really helped me think very clearly about my work and my health and I want to carry that forward I don't want to feel like I have to rush into anything and and run at a million miles per hour to hit goals I'm just trying to listen to my body and you know even though I'm back at work and it's busy and I've got things going on I'm just trying to be more paced about it and trying to bring in a bit more space and reflection that I was able to create over the Christmas period. So feel free to join me in that. And yeah, resisting the urge to jump in from the moment the clock strikes 12 into this like manic overdrive to meet goals and expectations. And yeah, to honour our bodies that we are animal bodies in the dead of winter and we kind of want to hibernate. So, and I love winter, so I want to make it feel enjoyable and wintry, um, rather than kind of pretending it's spring and it's yeah, time for cold jogs outside. No, that's not me. I'm a health coach, but I'm not gonna be jogging outside in frosty cold weather by the sea. Um okay, so as it is the start of the new year, I thought I would do a reflective type of episode. Um I've been doing this podcast for a couple years now. I'm not actually sure how many years. And many of you have been with me on this journey of transformation with my endo. But I realised I've not really done an episode where I've shared my biggest needle movers in terms of endo strategies. And I recently did a live on my key go-to daily strategies. And this is a bit similar to that, I have to admit. But this is all about the things that I am certain have made the biggest changes to my symptoms. Now, they're not the only changes, Supporting my liver, improving my gut health, adhesion work, physiotherapy and many more strategies have made a big difference too. But if for some crazy reason my life depended on it and I had to give just four strategies that I think made the biggest difference in the past seven years, then it would be these ones. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I've seen many people and clients go down rabbit holes with very niche changes for endo they start researching things like alkaline water and focusing on only drinking that or drinking celery juice every day or drinking apple cider vinegar every day or doing a fast or doing a juice cleanse. And sure, I'm not saying there aren't benefits to some of these nuanced additions. Some of them, however, do more harm than good. Um, But if your diet is still full of processed foods or you're drinking alcohol every day or you're not getting enough sleep or you have an underlying condition like SIBO... These smaller changes that aren't actually, you know, scientifically proven to work for for endo, they're only going to do so much. So I'm trying to save you time by giving you an insight as to what really worked for me. Now, of course, this is my personal experience, so you might respond differently. But I will say as an endo health coach that a healthy anti-inflammatory diet and balanced blood sugar are both essential to managing endometriosis. It's your choice how you manage endometriosis. You don't have to do either of those. But I see them to be essential from the science and from my work with clients. That's why I talk about them so much and why they are at the core of my work with endometriosis clients. How that fits into each client's life, if at all, is down to the individual. But all of us can benefit from a healthy diet And all of us can benefit from balanced blood sugar, even if we don't have endometriosis. We know that that's in the research. So again, before we get started, the following is my personal experience, not a protocol for you to follow. So please don't follow my personal experience. But I hope that my experience might inspire you with where to start next or how to to continue on your journey of healing your endosymptoms. If you do want a more step-by-step protocol based on the science and the research that's tailored to you, then I have countless articles, podcasts, and then of course there's my my classes, my courses, and my coaching that you can use to create your own tailored plan for beating endo. So with all that being said, let's get started. Number one is anti-inflammatory nutrition. This was the first thing that I tried for endo way back in the beginning when I was waiting for my second operation about seven years ago. And at the time, my life was really miserable. Um, I lived in fear of endo flares, and my period was just excruciating. I would have pain that would start before I was bleeding, sometimes a full 24 hours of full-on pain at like a level 10 on the pain scale. And then I'd eventually start bleeding, and it would be even worse The worst of the pain would be for about 48 hours to maybe a full three days and by the third day it would start to clear and would be manageable and then it would you know fade away as my period faded away. Nothing seemed to help the pain. I would take way too many painkillers, very strong painkillers and then I would spend the next couple of days recovering from the number of painkillers I had taken and I would feel sick and I would experience migraines and drowsiness and so because I had so long until my surgery, I was feeling really desperate and I went down a rabbit hole learning about nutrition for endo and inflammation. Um, And I had so long to wait for my surgery that I decided to give it a go. I find it quite funny that back then I saw that changing my diet and lifestyle was a act of desperation where really I think it should be the other way around. Like the surgery should be something that you do you know, as a last, well, not as a last resort, but changing my diet. For me, the type of endometriosis that I have, changing my diet and lifestyle is actually a healthier um, treatment option than having repeated surgeries. So really, it should have been the other way around. But anyway, so to caveat what I did, I wouldn't recommend my clients do the following. Now that I've qualified as an endometriosis health coach, as I take you through what I did, please don't see this as advice. I'm just sharing what I did for context. But you know, now I'm trained, I would have done this differently. So unfortunately, I didn't change my diet very strategically. I didn't do an elimination diet where you remove certain common anti- uh, certain common inflammatory foods and allergens, and then you add them back in one by one to see which one you respond to. Instead, I just removed a handful and pretty much kept them out for the most part um, for many years, which is not what I would recommend doing now, unless it was a food that, you know, for health reasons, it's generally best to keep to a minimum, right? Like alcohol and added sugar. But for the most part, I wouldn't advise clients to just cut out a bunch of food groups and never try them again, or to stay strictly away from them forever and feel like they could never have a bite. I guess the difference for me in this scenario is that I had just done a food intolerance test and it was kind of this that gave me the ammunition to go ahead with the elimination of the anti-inflammatory diet. And the test showed that I was really intolerant to gluten and dairy. And when I removed them, I felt so much better. The difference in my IBS symptoms and period was just so dramatic. I think that the test had been pretty accurate. Though generally, they're they're quite unreliable. Um, an elimination diet is the most effective way to test if you have a food intolerance. But I think for me, this was quite accurate. And you know, I've gone seven years without eating gluten and dairy. I've, you know, I have a small amount of gluten, but I never touched dairy. But having been in Greece and really having limited options that I could eat, I did eat some gluten and dairy. And my I literally said to my boyfriend, "I feel like I've gone backwards. Like seven years, my health is back to where it was. Like in terms of my IBS, like it was so dramatic. Um, So I am very, very certain that gluten and dairy are not my friends. But anyway, I removed gluten and dairy, added sugar and caffeine specifically. I think that those were the biggest ones. Um, There might have been a couple other small minor things I changed." Um, I already wasn't drinking alcohol, so I continued with that. And I was already vegetarian. I had been for about five years by that point and on and on and off all of my life. So I went fully vegan at this point and decided to remove eggs too. Back then, I wasn't a health coach and I was confused about the health verdict of eggs at the time, which has now changed over the years. So as I wanted to go vegan anyway, I just removed them too, Um, And I don't think I was eating them much anyway, except in baked goods, but I just decided to remove them. And just as a side note, if you're happy to eat animal protein and it fits with your lifestyle and values, because, you know, we're all different, we have to do what's right for us as individuals, eggs are nutrient dense, they're great for hormones, and they're healthy, providing that they're organic, free range, and from hens fed a diet mostly based on grass and foraging. Now, I'm not going to go into like the science behind all of this because that's another episode but I will link to a really great episode by Dr Mark Hyman on the health and safety of eggs so you can have a listen to that. Lean unprocessed meat can have a role in healthy anti-inflammatory diets for endo providing it's grass-fed organic and free range or wild to avoid the added hormones and inflammatory chemicals um, and high levels of um, omega-6 fatty acids so we want more omega-3. That's a big topic for another discussion but in short, most anti-inflammatory diets in the research show a greater intake of plant foods over meat but aren't exclusively like plant-based. The link between red meat and endo is more complex and requires an entire episode itself but the bottom line is that if you do eat red meat it's about the quality and quantity. If you want to learn more, I do cover it in my Nutrition for Endo Masterclasses and in the Live and Thrive with Endo course. I go into meat and eggs and protein and all of that in much more depth, but I am going to cover this in another episode later in the year. It's just, it's a guest episode and we haven't been able to pin a date down yet, Um, and it's a specific episode about meat and endo. But back to the main point, I did this elimination diet for one month and had a pain-free period. My first pain-free period in years. And this was the start of managing my endo naturally and holistically. And I then went on to experiment, unfortunately, not very strategically, as I already shared. And I would add in things here and there and make changes. And sometimes I would have good periods and sometimes I would have bad. And because I wasn't very strategic, I didn't always know what the cause was. But what I did know is that if I ate a diet low in inflammatory foods... And for me, what I worked out from my experiments is that my biggest inflammatory triggers were sugar, dairy, gluten, caffeine, and alcohol. Then I had dramatically better periods. I had some hiccups, as I'll come to explain later. You'll kind of see as we go through these different strategies. But this change meant that I got my life back. That was like the beginning of all of this work. There was like the endo before, anti-inflammatory diet and the endo-after, there are two very different experiences. Now, I didn't just swap these foods for a bunch of processed replacements like soy, meat products, and gluten-free bread. Because let's not forget, processed foods, whether veggie, vegan, or meat-based, are still processed foods. And we know a diet high in processed foods is generally inflammatory. Instead, I ensured my diet was rich in whole plant foods that were full of antioxidants, which fight inflammation, And I, you know, I cooked like it was home cooked meals. Um, I didn't buy like pre-made like frozen veggie meals and stuff. I was kind of having things like um, veg curries in the evening and like a really hearty salad for lunch. Um, And I don't know, I was probably having something like a smoothie or oats for breakfast. Since then, I've come to learn the science behind anti-inflammatory nutrition and a more sustainable approach to changing our diet, as part of my training as an endo health coach and in short now i focus on what we call crowding out the inflammatory or processed foods with more nutrient dense whole foods such as vegetables fruits healthy fats including olive oil avocados fatty fish if applicable um, and nuts and seeds lean proteins like beans and legumes fish and grass-fed organic meat in moderation um, if someone eats meat and whole grains gluten-free if necessary These foods are the key foods that come up time and time again in the research as being the basis of an anti-inflammatory diet. The biggest difference is that some diets include a little meat, some not at all, and some quite a bit, like the paleo diet. However, as I said before, the key key takeaway is that plants outweigh meat and are the star players of an anti-inflammatory diet. Now, of course, every single body is different. So what is generally anti-inflammatory in the research may not be anti-inflammatory to you. So for example, tomatoes are very anti-inflammatory in general and according to the research, but for me, because I have histamine intolerance, they're inflammatory. So just keep that in mind. There's no one size fits all for anti-inflammatory nutrition. And it also comes down to your personal lifestyle and values. Then if or when my client feels ready we go through a short four-week elimination phase where we remove a small list of common inflammatory foods or allergens, and then we retest them one by one to see which ones are worsening inflammation and endosymptoms. These days, I personally adopt the 80 to 20 rule, the 80-20 rule. Uh, for the most part, I eat an anti-inflammatory diet, rich in those food groups that I mentioned above. Then occasionally, except for the meat, because I I don't eat meat. Obviously, I had to eat meat for the SIBO diet because I couldn't eat any form of plant-based protein at all, but um, I'm back to not eating meat. Um, So other than that, I eat those food groups. Then occasionally, usually at the weekends, I allow myself to have some foods that aren't normally in my personal anti-inflammatory diet, like a takeaway or takeout for my American listeners, or, you know, added sugar or caffeine. Now, this is a very short discussion, on anti-inflammatory eating and more so from my personal perspective so please don't base any changes on what I've shared here instead do further research listen to my other episodes on anti-inflammatory nutrition for endo or read my articles there's plenty of those or if you want a step-by-step outline on how to make changes safely and realistically there's of course my nutrition for endo masterclasses which are available anytime my course live and thrive with endo which comes out twice a year or you can work with me one-on-one As always, consult your doctor before making any dietary changes. And if you have a history of an eating disorder or you currently have one, please work with a nutritionist or dietitian and a mental health practitioner before making changes. But personally, for me, this was the first change I ever made to manage my endo, and it will be forever the biggest game changer. This is the pillar that the following changes were built on. Number two, was adding in anti-inflammatory supplements, specifically curcumin, ginger, and magnesium. When I first started managing endo with nutrition, I would say that my endo was still unpredictable. I was still learning, and as you'll come to see in strategy three, I didn't really understand the science behind what my body was and wasn't responding to. To have a pain-free period, I felt like I had to eat perfect, or quote-unquote perfect, all the time and that I could never eat any of the foods that I had to cut out in the beginning. As soon as I strayed, I would end up having a really bad period that month. And actually, you know, I think that was largely to do with SIBO as well, because SIBO causes inflammation when you eat certain foods. But anyway, that's a a side note. I just felt like I was too sensitive, and I had to work really hard to control my endo. I mean, it was incredible that I could even have a pain-free period after years of suffering, but trying to maintain that every month was difficult. And I was then offered a curcumin and ginger supplement to trial. Both have been shown in studies to be effective pain relievers and just as effective as NSAIDs. And curcumin has been shown in rat models to directly target endo and reduce lesion size and growth rate whilst ginger has been shown time and time again to reduce period pain. I wasn't offered the supplement to test for endo, but actually for immunity. Um, But that month was December and I had already been more relaxed with my eating. So I was worried that I would have a flare around my period. But then my period arrived and I felt absolutely fine. And I still remember my shock and confusion trying to understand what I had done differently. For me, this was the start of consistently low pain or pain-free periods. Adding supplements on top took the edge off and it allowed me to be more flexible with my diet and my lifestyle. This is when I really moved into the 80-20 rule that I shared earlier because I had the freedom to now. Since that first encounter, I have experimented with a lot of supplements and there are some great, incredibly effective ones out there which I share in episodes 130 and 131. For me, I like curcumin because there's some really promising research on its effects on endo. When taken consistently, it's just as effective as ibuprofen, so it has pain relieving benefits daily. It helps to heal leaky gut, which is important for keeping inflammation down. It's a powerful anti-inflammatory, and we know that inflammation drives pain, and it can also help with brain fog. I haven't actually taken curcumin for a long time because I've had to focus on supplements for SIBO, and you know, there's only so many that I can take at one time or afford. But for several years, this was my go-to, and I believe it played a huge role in my healing. I still take ginger to this day, just before and on my period. I would take it daily, but unfortunately, it burns my bladder because of my um, interstitial cystitis. However, I use ginger to prevent and reduce any mild cramping that may come with my period just so that I can be sure I can keep my periods pain-free or, you know, at a low pain level. What I love about ginger as well is that if i find that i have higher pain levels than normal it's it really pretty much stops them in their tracks so for example if there's been a birthday or an event near my period and i've eaten a lot of sugar or something that i know flares me that i wouldn't normally eat at that time in my cycle i find that the ginger means i don't suffer severely for it it gets the pain under control quickly Um, whereas, you know, before I had ginger, it would just be game over. I'd be in agony. A handful of times, I may add a single paracetamol in there if I find it's not strong enough, but that's very rare, and it's usually if I've gone, I don't know, a bit crazy with the sugar or something. If you're interested in the dosing um, of ginger and curcumin, etc., have a listen to my supplements episode, um, episode 131. Finally a later addition was magnesium. Magnesium is not only anti-inflammatory but it reduces muscle cramping, has been shown to reduce period pain and PMS, is essential for healthy hormone balance, energy production and helps to stabilize blood sugar which we will learn about in my next strategy. The difference I experience in my energy, my hormones, my moods, my sleeps and my period pain with magnesium is extraordinary. I use both magnesium spray on my body daily and directly on my abdomen during my period and I use magnesium baths throughout the month. If I feel any cramping during my period, I spray a couple of times on my pelvis and the cramps literally melt away in minutes. So in that way, I use it for in the moment pain relief as and when needed. But when I use magnesium spray and baths consistently, the need for spray during my period is greatly reduced. I just find that my body's tolerance and resilience is just so much higher. I can be more flexible and have less consequences and it takes a lot more to cause me pain. That doesn't mean I can eat junk food and sugar every day as long as I take magnesium. I want to be clear that you can't out-supplement a bad diet and eating healthy isn't just about Endo, but all of the other chronic diseases we're at greater risk of with an unhealthy diet, like heart disease and cancer and diabetes. So, yes, I still focus on my 80 20 approach, but it means that I just get to eat out more and have some treats without such severe reactions as I used to. It allows me to have that, you know, that 20 20% um, without such bad reactions. And you know, I am all about the foundations. So, for me, it's about layering the foundations of good health and then adding in some extra endo support because we tend to need a little more than the average person. And I feel like these supplements do that for me. They're the cherry on the top that have really enhanced my endo management and freed up my life. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop just head to link in my show notes. So now let's move on to number three. Number three is balancing my blood sugar which came many years later when I started my training as a health coach. Something that I had noticed was despite my endopain being better I was always exhausted. I had severe dips during the day which would leave me slumped in my chair and I was so tired I literally would have my eyes, I would hold my eyes open while staring at my computer and it's a wonder that no one in my management team pulled me up on it because at that time I was um, an employee at center point i think i additionally had severe brain fog and low moods i also felt hungry quickly after big meals i would just feel hungry all the time i would often feel faint dizzy shaky and irritable i put this all down to have an endometriosis and the chronic fatigue and brain fog that come with it i now don't think it's as simple as endo causes brain fog and fatigue i actually think well i know There are multiple factors that contribute to these symptoms um, in relation to endo, and I explore them in in episode uh, 119, for those of you who would like to learn more about that. But I was really interested in understanding why I had managed to clear my endo pain, but not my fatigue and brain fog. The other issue was that I had noticed that I couldn't eat healthy carbs on my period without causing a pain flare. I could be pain-free, I could have had a great month, but if I ate some fruit, a bowl of oats, rice, grains, pasta or potato, I would be in agony within 30 minutes or so. I started noticing that I was better off sticking to fasting on day one of my period or eating small amounts of protein, fat and low starchy vegetables for the first 24 hours to two days. I was also depressed, anxious and I had awful PMS and mood swings, and I spent a good portion of each month feeling suicidal. I do have my suspicions about whether I suffered with PMDD, and that it's now largely under control, but I wasn't tracking my period, and I didn't even know when my period would start, so I really can't say whether these feelings were cyclical, but I I feel like they were. Regardless, all of that has gone away since balancing my hormones and learning about blood sugar, but um, they were very, very severe. And when I finally did learn about blood sugar, it all made so much sense. So let's do a recap of what blood sugar is and what it means for the body. Blood sugar is the measurement of glucose, aka sugar, in the bloodstream. We get glucose from carbohydrates after they break down in the gut through digestion. Glucose is the body's main source of fuel but it needs to be in the right amount to benefit us. Too much, and we have problems. Too little, and we have problems too. Complex carbohydrates, like vegetables, contain fiber and are broken down over time because they're made up of longer chains of glucose. That's what makes up a carbohydrate. These simple glucose molecules chain together. So you get a steady drip of glucose to the bloodstream over a sustained period which creates even energy levels. Simple carbohydrates like processed carbs, such as white bread, white pasta, and simple sugars, like honey, maple syrup, and white sugar, contain very little fiber and are made up of only very short chains of glucose. It doesn't take the body much time at all to break down those chains into single glucose molecules that get absorbed into the bloodstream. So this creates a large spike in blood sugar in a very short amount of time. Our body actually finds this spike stressor, as we're not designed to have that much glucose in our blood at one time. The body wants to clean up all of this glucose quickly, so it releases lots of insulin from our pancreas. Insulin is a hormone that delivers glucose to the cells for fuel, but when we have too much glucose, it quickly shoves it away in storage in our fat cells and our liver. Because the body has released so much insulin in a panic to sort our blood sugar levels out, our glucose levels end up dropping dramatically and our levels get too low. And as a result, our brain and body are now starved of glucose because all of it has been put into storage and none of it has been left for actual fuel. It's this dip that I was experiencing during my sleep when I was waking in the morning when I felt exhausted mid-morning, mid-afternoon. It's why I would eat a huge meal and feel starving shortly afterwards. It's why I felt dizzy, shaky, depressed, anxious. It's also why my moods fluctuated and it's also why I had severe PMS and estrogen-dominant symptoms because blood sugar dysregulation drives up estrogen levels and can lower progesterone levels, creating hormonal imbalances. Now, the other issue is that high blood sugar levels raise inflammatory chemicals called prostaglandins. And we know that inflammation is a driver of pain in endometriosis. This would explain why I would have surges in pain when eating a carb heavy meal during my period, especially when I hadn't created these meals to be blood sugar balancing. I can now eat a blood sugar balance meal on my period and not experience any pain at all, which to me is just revolutionary. At the time, when I was experiencing all of these problems, I was eating a wonderful anti-inflammatory diet, you know, rich in antioxidant-rich foods, but I was mainly eating carbs and I wasn't paying enough attention to protein or healthy fats. I would pile my plate with hummus, potatoes, rice, falafel and vegetables. These aren't unhealthy foods. Carbs are not the enemy here. As I've already explained, the glucose from carbs is essential fuel for us, but it's about how we eat carbs. There are a few steps to balancing your blood sugar, and I dive into those in more details in other episodes, articles, my course, Living Fiber Endo, and my Nutrition Masterclasses. But, in short, the first step is having a balanced plate. That means having fat, fibre, protein, and complex carbs with every meal. Fat, fibre, and protein are not only nutrient-dense and provide essential nutrients for managing endo and balancing hormones, but they slow down the release of glucose from carbohydrates because they take longer to digest. At the Integrated Women's Health Institute, where I trained, we're taught to balance a plate with 50% of the plate being low starch vegetables, like cruciferous veg, peppers, cucumbers, etc. 25% of your plate is protein, whether that's animal or plant-based, And the final 25% is split between your healthy fats and extra carbs, usually starchier ones or more veggies, depending on what your body needs and whether your protein source was already a kind of complex carb like beans. So for example, that final 25% could look like having some root vegetables, which are starchier and higher in carbs, or whole grains, which again are starchier and higher in carbs and tend to break down more quickly than low starch veg, which is on that you know, other 50% of your plate. And then the fat, we're looking at about two tablespoons or two golf ball sized portions. Now, this will need tweaking for each individual as someone who is very active will probably need more starchy carbs than someone who has a desk job. But regardless, it's about focusing on these four pillars and their rough portion sizes and adjusting to what feels right for you. Remember, there's no one size fits all diet. Once I'd made this change, I felt such a huge difference. I almost think about my health in the sense of before and after blood sugar balancing. My moods are much more stable. My energy is consistent in the sense that I don't often have those swings anymore or those crashes unless my blood sugar is unstable for some reason. I rarely ever have estrogen dominant symptoms unless I have taken care of my blood sugar. I don't have PMS unless I haven't taken care of my blood sugar my brain fog is minimal and I'm much more focused and I don't have the surges of pain when I eat on my period anymore. Now I still suffer, I still don't have the energy levels of I would say you know a person walking around without a chronic condition and that is largely down to these days it's largely down to the histamine issues um, and SIBO but in terms of the levels of energy they're consistent. And I feel, I I mean, I want to say like 100% better than I did. Well, yeah, I guess I feel 100% better than I did then. But I imagine once I really get histamine and SIBO out of the way, I'm going to feel 100% better from where, where I feel now. But anyway, the change has been remarkable. Of course, if you have an eating disorder or a history of an eating disorder and this feels triggering for you, I don't recommend you make any changes without the support of a dietitian or a nutritionist versed in eating disorders and a mel- mental health practitioner. But if you'd like to learn more about blood sugar in depth, I listed earlier the resources where I provide more step-by-step actions for this. My last biggest needle mover has been surprising for me, and that's clearing my SIBO, despite having relapsed shortly afterwards. I haven't spoken about this much because I wanted to be sure so I gave it a couple months but even though I'm quite certain I've relapsed with my SIBO, since I got the negative test result I've experienced again a new level of resilience in my period similar to how I felt with adding in those supplements. Just after I got the all clear for SIBO we spent six weeks in Greece where my options for endo-friendly foods were limited I ended up incredibly sick with gut health issues like sicker than I've been in like seven years I would say because I'm intolerant to gluten and dairy and having to eat those a few times a week ended up causing a lot of IBS issues but in the past I would have been in crippling agony on my period if I was eating those foods regularly but instead whilst I did have an increase in pain it wasn't anywhere near how it was previously I will say that during my treatment, my period was up and down because there was a lot of inflammation going on in my body. So it was unpredictable. I was having like, you know, I wasn't having pain, pain flares like I did seven years ago, but it it was markedly worse and different. So it was coming out on the other side of the treating the SIBO that I've seen a difference. And since treating, I have had to introduce gluten for a celiac disease test um, but again, despite it being worse than normal, and I've needed to take some time out of work for it, the pain with my periods wasn't anywhere to the level it would have been in the past at all. And secondly, my blood sugar levels have dramatically improved. Prior to treating my SIBO, I would have to work very hard to control my blood sugar levels, and I was incredibly sensitive to any increases or dips. Now they are much less sensitive and more stable, and even though I could eat more on my period, learning how to balance after learning how to balance my blood sugar, I still had to eat a low level of carbohydrates to prevent a blood sugar spike, which would normally have led to a pain flare. So in terms of what I could eat on my period, I had gone from pretty much needing to fast or eating minimal amounts of fat and protein, to then being able to eat low carb meals once I had learned how to balance my blood sugar. This is in terms of on my period. I wasn't, you know, low carb all the time. However, now the difference is remarkable. My period was on New Year's Eve and I truly cannot believe what I ate. I had already noticed over the past few months I was becoming more and more resilient with what I could eat. So we decided to have noodles on New Year's Eve. Usually I would stay away from anything with a high carb content on my period because it would just shoot my pain up with the blood sugar spike. But because I had been dipping my toes in over the past few months, and as it was New Year's Eve, I decided to try something that I would never never normally even consider eating on my period. And I'm pretty sure I also ate some of my gluten-free bread that day and probably some other Christmassy carbs that, you know, were left over like crackers. And whilst I got slightly more pain than my usual low pain or pain-free periods, with some extra ginger and magnesium, it went away quickly, as in, you know, it went away within half an hour, and then I forgot about it. So again, just to be clear, I'm not about to fill my diet with foods that I know make me sick, like gluten, dairy, caffeine, and sugar, and I'm certainly not going to start swapping my veggies for more processed foods. But it's nice to know that I don't have to panic if I eat a slice of birthday cake near my period, or if I want a bowl of pasta on my period and it's also nice to know that you know regardless of my period my blood sugar levels are just more stable and my blood sugar my kind of insulin and my blood sugar levels are more resilient now to the foods that I eat because before I had to really really I was reacting worse than other people you know my boyfriend and I would eat the same meal Um, and he would feel fine, and I would feel, I would notice my blood sugar levels fluctuating, and so I would happen to be very tightly controlled. Now you're probably wondering why treating the SIBO would make a difference. Without offering my body up for research, I can only hypothesize as to what's happened, but I think I can reasonably believe this is correct. Firstly, SIBO, especially methane type SIBO, which is one of the types that I had, I got all three, Um, can cause blood sugar imbalances, as can other forms of bacterial imbalances in the gut. And I believe that whatever bacteria I specifically had that was behind my SIBO was driving some of my blood sugar issues. So just to recap, that even when I ate for blood sugar, even once I'd learned how to manage my blood sugar, I would still notice how sensitive I was to blood sugar changes or to a meal that wasn't perfectly balanced. Now, there are numerous bacteria responsible for SIBO. So for example, two people could have methane type SIBO, but the bacteria causing their SIBO could be different. I think that the bacteria causing my blood sugar issue level, my blood sugar issues has either been cleared entirely and it's a different bacteria that's now causing my current relapse, or it is returned, but it's in low levels, so I'm not so affected by it. Secondly, bacteria from SIBO can release a toxin called endotoxins or lipopolysaccharides. Uh, Well, not can, it does, um, continuously. And these cause a huge inflammatory reaction from the body and have been found in the pelvic cavity of people with endo and have been shown to contribute to the inflammation and the growth of endometriosis. Having cleared SIBO, it's possible that I may have reduced the level of endotoxins in my blood and pelvic cavity reducing the inflammation overall and in that area. And as a result, my body is more resilient to the changes that can increase inflammation because it's not already being inflamed by SIBO every day. Clearly, I need to get back on top of the SIBO to keep reaping the benefits because I don't want the endotoxins or the bacteria to just build back up to high levels. Um, it's not something that I'm doing just yet because I'm working on my root causes to prevent relapsing again. I don't wanna just treat and then relapse. Um, and as you know, I've been exploring candida overgrowth and mold too, which can cause relapse, but all of these things take time. If I notice any negative changes or any of those kind of symptoms creeping back in, I'll try to do the treatment trick quicker, but for now, I'm really enjoying these benefits. And it's just been so remarkable seeing such a difference in my blood sugar and my period resilience. I really never thought I could be this flexible. Um, and I really never thought that I could eat <laughs> high levels of carbohydrates on my period. That just seems insanity to me. So that's it. Those are my top four changes that I feel made the biggest difference to my endosymptoms in the past seven years. I hope that you found this episode inspiring motivating and hopeful just a reminder that this isn't a protocol for you to follow but is here to serve as inspiration and please talk to your doctor if you plan to make any nutritional changes or you plan to add in any supplements or try any SIBO treatment so I hope this has been helpful and I will see you next week so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my Instagram page which is this underscore endolife Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. Really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world